Corn is a part of modern day life in all sorts of ways. The syrup that sweetens food products, the maize that fattens up livestock, biofuels, we eat it on the cob as grits, polenta, and especially tortillas. In the US, most of the corn that we use is sprayed with weed killers like glyphosate and also genetically modified to survive those weed killers and create bigger yields. Critics say both those practices are potentially harmful to humans. In Mexico, the birthplace of corn, the use of them is about to dramatically change. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today's Thursday, August 12, 2021. California becomes the first state in the nation to require all school staff be vaccinated against COVID-19 or be tested regularly for it. U.S. Census figures are expected to show the number of people identifying as white will drop in the U.S. for the first time ever. And ranchera legend Vicente Fernandez is recuperating in a hospital after a fall in his ranch in Mexico. Animo Miguel. That's be well, my rooster in Mexican Spanish. No, seriously. Mexico has never allowed the production of genetically modified corn or GMO corn for short. Now the country plans to also ban the import of GMO corn, about 16 million tons per year used to feed livestock. And it wants to stop all use of glyphosates by 2024. Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador says the moves are necessary to preserve the country's culinary heritage. But will it lead to an agricultural and economic disaster for the country? Our guest today, San Francisco-based reporter Rene Alexander and the founder of Macienda, a company devoted to buying from Mexican farmers who grow non-GMO corn. The Nobel laureate Octavio Paz is credited with this great quote. The invention of corn by Mexicans is only comparable to the invention of fire by man. It's included in a recent story by Rene Alexander and Simran Seti for The Counter, a really cool food publication. In that story, the two of them examined the impact of what the ban of GMO corn and glyphosate would mean to Mexico and the U.S. Rene, welcome to The Times. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. In 1994, the North American Free Trade Agreement, or NAFTA for short, took effect. And it was a treaty between Mexico, Canada, and the United States that allowed the U.S. to sell cheap corn to Mexico. And as the two of you wrote in your story, it placed two million farmers, at least in Mexico. And most of them either went to cities in Mexico or most likely ended up in the United States. Millions of people. And recently, former President Trump, he tried to replace NAFTA with another treaty. So did that change at all the dynamic between corn in the U.S. and Mexico? I'm not sure that we can demonstrate that um, it has made that much of a difference um, just since that went into effect. Um, But what I can say is when you go into the countryside where corn farming is such a big deal, you see the devastation that has come from the inability of corn farmers to make a living selling corn. And many of those communities, you will find that almost all of the men there have come to the U.S. to work. They come to the U.S., they make money, they send it back home to their communities. And when they have sent enough money back to their communities, then they return. And their communities are where they want to be, but they just can't make a living on corn. I mean, that was my family then. Uh, This is going back in the 60s and 50s. And it's something that keeps happening in Mexico, farmers being displaced. And then you start seeing, though, innovations in the world of corn, glyphosate, GMO corn, and both were quickly adopted in the United States. What did that do to the dynamic between the U.S. and Mexico? 
in the U.S., the ability to grow all that commodity corn um, means that you have to plug into this turnkey system of agriculture. That means that you are using the genetically modified corn, you're spraying the chemicals on it, you're using the machinery, you're using the grain elevators, this entire turnkey system that is set up. And if you don't want to do that, it's really, really hard to break out of that system. What that meant for Mexico is that so much of that corn was created. We have such a surplus of corn and we need a market for that corn. So with NAFTA and these trade agreements, Mexico was required to take all of this corn from us, and that crashed the price across the border. Now, there have been some pushes to get Mexico to also adopt these practices. And these companies, like formerly known as Monsanto, now owned by Bayer, um, these companies are really pushing to be able to use this technology in Mexico. But because corn is such a sacred crop in this country, there is a lot of pushback from indigenous groups. Now, that Lopez Obrador is the president. He is a lot more supportive of these indigenous groups. So we're seeing more of a national push among the government to support this. Now, the interesting thing about this corn is that it really has to be grown in flat areas in order to use tractors, in order to use all this machinery. But in southern Mexico, where it's very mountainous and the landscape is very steep, you can't use this type of equipment. And so southern Mexico is where this native corn, these land races that have been passed down from generation to generation, that is thriving in southern Mexico because there's no way you're going to be able to replace this with those agricultural practices. And so the Southern Mexicans are the ones who are really driving this change to make sure that they no longer have to compete with this commodity corn. And why has GMO corn and also glyphosates, why have their use been so controversial in Mexico, but also among food activists in the United States? Well, people don't really like the idea of eating food that's been genetically modified. And people also don't like the idea of eating food that has been drenched in pesticides and herbicides. It's genetically modified so that they can spray these chemicals directly on the crops. It will kill the other weeds around it, but the crops themselves will basically drink up these herbicides and now they are a part of the food. We'll have more after this break. Renee, although the Mexican government is planning to ban GMO corn imports and also the use of glyphosate, there's also a move to get the government to rescind that decision. There's definitely a lot of controversy um, within the country and even within the government. In fact, the Minister of Agriculture is more of a agricultural industry supporter, whereas the deputy minister is on the side of the indigenous farmers. Would the ban be total that Lopez Obrador uh, is proposing? Well, there's some controversy about that as well. It seems that the Minister of Agriculture has assured the U.S. trade representatives um, and the U.S. side that it will only be a ban on 
corn that is meant for human foods. But the deputy minister, Victor Suarez, is saying, no, we want to ban all of it. Um, and he is also saying that, hey, even if we can't produce all of those 16 million tons of corn that we want to replace, even if we can't do it all by growing it here ourselves, we can at least replace some of it. It has not really been decided, and it remains to be seen if that will go through in 2024 as planned. This is the resistance to the ban in Mexico. How has this plan been received by corn growers in the United States? The agricultural industry obviously is not very happy about this. The likes of Bayer um, and those companies like Cargill are absolutely opposed to it. Um, The corn farmers who are growing the genetically modified corn obviously are with the agricultural industry because that is their livelihood. But there are a lot of corn growers in the U.S. who have switched and who are growing organic corn or who are growing corn that is not genetically modified. And then if they wanted to buy that non-genetically engineered corn in Mexico, we could supply it to them. If the ban in Mexico pushes farmers in the United States to start growing more traditional ways of corn, does that fix the problem? That would not necessarily solve the problem of the corn farmers in Mexico. If you want people in Mexico to be able to have their own livelihoods and to be able to support themselves, then they're going to need to be able to create a crop and have a market where they can sell it. Thank you so much for this interview, Renee. Thank you. Jorge Gaviria is the founder and CEO of Macienda. That's a company based in Los Angeles devoted to working with traditional corn farmers in Mexico. He buys or harvests to make masarina, the dehydrated corn used to make tortillas and tamales. Jorge, welcome to The Times. Thanks so much, Gustavo. If you talk to old timers like my dad, my tias, my grandma, they'll tell you flat out, tortillas don't taste like tortillas anymore, even in Mexico. Why do they say that? Tortillas have been in the process of changing for almost, uh, you know, a century since the really the industrialization of, of food really took place. And this started with the mechanization of milling, which kind of really disrupted, um, you know, the home economics of how tortillas were made. Um, so I think, you know, technology is a, has a lot to do with what these changes we're seeing. Um, and it's all been in the name of convenience, right? Like gradually over time, things have become more convenient. But, you know, gradually they've also come at the cost of quality, some would say. Um, I would definitely say that in in certain cases for sure. Um, And, you know, tortillas are no exception. So what's a tortilla supposed to taste like? Oh, my gosh. Uh, To me, a tortilla should taste like its raw ingredient, which is corn, first and foremost. Um, To me, kind of a dead giveaway that... Uh, that tortilla has been compromised is if it sort of has a sour or bitter taste. Um, usually that means some kind of preservative has been added to it to, to help it stay on shelves for a long time. Temperature is a really big indication to me. If it's warm and it has that sort of just made feel to it, uh, maybe a little bit of condensation in the package if it's just freshly made. Um, but, uh, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel here. It should taste like corn. So you're working with these traditional farmers in an industry where they remain a minority of corn growers because most farmers are going to favor anything that increases their harvest. What did these traditional farmers tell you about Mexico's move to ban the import of GMO corn and and the use of glyphosate? 
You know, it's funny. I think that uh, it's it's a hugely political issue, of course, but it's one that I haven't, it hasn't registered as much on the really local, le- you know, community level that we work on. I think it's funny. It's like hot button things like non-GMO or organic or, you know, um, really these right ways of practicing agriculture have really been part and parcel of how these folks have been doing business and growing for themselves forever, right? So it's funny. It's like It's like we're all really, really worked up about it but it's kind of quiet, believe it or not. Mostly because they've been doing it the same way their ancestors have been doing it for centuries and centuries and miraculously have not gone into what the Mexican government has been pushing for years, which is the use of glyphosates and the use of... Obviously, you can't grow a GMO corn in Mexico, but that hasn't stopped sometimes the government from trying. There are real things to consider here. I think when you know you give a mouse a cookie, you know it's, it's a matter of time before you know the industry starts to change. And... As small as these growers are, they are subsistence farmers that we personally, you know, as for Macienda that we work with. You know, I think the influences there should be checked. Um, and I think it's a positive thing that there are checks and balances. So, yeah, it, it's fraught. The GMO conversation is one that being in Mexico, the birthplace of corn, it needs to be happening. There needs to be preservation that's taking place. As the owner of a, an heirloom corn company, my fundamental problems with GMOs I may be a little bit less uh, radical than I used to be about it. I think that there is a place for it in some places, but you know it supports a whole economy of agriculture that I personally don't want to participate in. Um, and I think everybody should have that choice. But for me personally, and for a lot of the folks who consume Macienda products and obviously work with us on a partner level, you know that the, they're making that choice uh, with how they they choose to participate in kind of in this in this global economy. Critics of those planned bans say it might create another economic depression in Mexico and even lead to food shortages. Do you buy that argument? I don't. The biggest piece to me, if you go back to the origins of genetically modified foods and and the green revolution, as it were, uh, which was really kind of propelled by Norman Burlog, he won a Nobel Peace Prize to help fight off starvation. Um, because of the development of dwarf wheat and and kind of these genetically modified uh, varieties of food that would help blow up these yields and really make sure that enough people were getting this food. And this is sort of what the seed industry has taken for all these decades subsequently on it to say, you know what, this is really feeding the world. We're doing We're doing God's work here. All of our work here is rooted in feeding the world. When really, a lot of people aren't actually eating the food that we're, you know, this corn or whatever it is that we're growing that's genetically modified. It might be going into cattle most often, might have all these other industrial uses. So, you know, I don't totally buy that uh, that GMO food is necessarily feeding these people, um, me, any of us, really. Uh, it's it's sort of indirectly at best at, at most cases. Um, and I think that the culture of subsistence and tradition that you find in these communities is so you know, it, it's 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 so durable. You know, it's 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 such a uh, a significant way of of life here that I don't I don't think that that's going to be uh, easily influenced uh, because to date these are folks who still are able to participate in the global economy. They can choose to buy technologically advanced um, agricultural staples that you know that they're at their fingertips if they really really wanted to and they had the druthers to. They just choose not to engage in it. The tradition always is. Um, you know, outpacing the technological developments that you find in in the ag space. If this span goes through, Mexico will have to substitute about 16 million tons of corn that they get from the United States. So will growers that you work with need more infrastructure support? You know, I don't know that it reaches the growers at the level that we work at. I mean, because most of them are working at or below the international poverty line. It's a totally different 
you know, economic model that we're talking about. It's really a subsistence model that we've given economic incentive to. I think what largely this would kind of uh, impact are the growers farther north that are, you know, have more commercial uh, infrastructure to work with. Um, and these are the folks who would likely be, you know, these are the folks who are already probably making these decisions at a larger scale to date. You know, they're the ones who are going to drive probably 80, if not more percent of, of what, uh, what would be affected here. Finally, Jorge, proponents like Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador say that moves like this to ban the import of GMO corn and ban the use of herbicides that actually helps small farmers like the ones that you work with. Do you see those programs assisting the farmers that you work with? You know, in real time, I haven't seen it uh, benefit farmers we work with. I think a lot of farmers we work with have PTSD from prior initiatives that have taken place in the Mexican government where, you know, they they were designed to either subsidize their, you know, their heirloom corn uh, production or, you know, really help out on a subsistence level. And they've been either abruptly taken away or they've been kind of um, engineered in a way to favor much larger companies that ultimately don't benefit these farmers at the end of the day. So I, I think it's, uh, while at least publicly designed to meet the needs of rural farmers and the types of farmers that we work with, I, I haven't seen uh, historically a lot of evidence that this will you know, promote or sustain kind of any enduring change um, economically or culturally for farmers at the subsistence level, which is the type of farmer that we work with at Macienda. Jorge Gaviria is the founder and CEO of Macienda. Thank you, Jorge, for this conversation. Thanks so much, Gustavo. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, a black police officer in the Los Angeles Police Department grapples with his job. And so does the LA Times lead LAPD reporter. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Melissa Kaplan, Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. Our intern is Ashley Brown. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this madre. Gracias. <laughs>